tuning in to the 198th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, or whichever podcasting app you are listening to me via. Going to have a great show for you all today. Going to have David Ramil on. He covers the Miami Heat and is the host of the Locked on Heat podcast. We get into a lot of talk on Giannis. Uh, potentially going to the Heat. We talk about just the Heat's run in general, you know, through the Pacers. Then we have them shred the Bucks. Just really spectacular by the Heat. Jimmy Butler versus Jason Tatum, you know, that series is going on. And actually, the first game of the Heat and Celtics just happened tonight. And then I also, after David, have my guy, Silas Garrison, on the show. And we do get, get into the Heat and Celtics a little bit. We also get into the Clippers and Nuggets. The Clippers lost. They flailed. They... I almost said S the bed. They uh they they wet the bed against the uh crapped the bed, right? They crapped the bed against the, the Nuggets. We will have a Lakers Nuggets Western Conference Finals, so I talked to Silas about that. Also at the end of my conversation with Silas, we got into a little bit about football, got into a little bit of the Bills, also got into the Steven Goskowski miss kicks on Monday night football. And we even delved into the Big Ten potentially returning for football and how Silas would react as a football player since he did play college football for Allegheny College and was a pretty good high school football player too. So I get into all that and we're going to start with my interview with David Ramil coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us today. We have David Ramil. He covers the Miami Heat and is the host of the Locked on Heat podcast. How you doing, David? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on show. So last time I had you on the podcast, we kind of talked a little bit about how all of this would work, right, uh, with the bubble being in Disney, like the worldwide complex of sports. Kind of what were your expectations of the bubble? And as you kind of saw the first couple rounds materialize, did it meet your expectations? Uh, I think it exceeded them, to be honest with you. I think everything worked out so well, not just from a health perspective, but the level of play, the fact that uh, we were able to get so much going offensively. And we, we have been surprised, I think, pleasantly, uh, collectively, seeing how well these teams have been playing there. We thought after the long hiatus, maybe it would be a little difficult for players to get back into a rhythm, but that wasn't the case. The, the training camps and whatever necessary practices they had in order to get back into a rhythm show that they were just incredibly elite-level athletes, and the basketball, I think, has been really, really great so far. Now, I've kind of heard this argument, and it's really interesting, because the basketball, I feel like it's been it's been really good. Like, I, I've enjoyed it, and I think it's also interesting with everything being on a neutral court, like the weird things that happen, like you can go to the the Nuggets Jazz series, like the Nuggets Clippers series right now, like just how, how it's kind of, how things have kind of made it a little bit more weird, but, but different, but weird and kind of entertaining in, in a good way. Would you be in favor 
if the NBA was just kind of like, okay, from now on, because they've been talking about experimenting with the playoffs anyway, maybe we do have a bubble format for the playoffs. Yes. Yeah, actually looking at it now, uh, I mean, I don't think it will ever happen just because of the kind of revenue that's generated from long playoff runs and certain teams. I mean, that's like, like, you look at a team like maybe the Pelicans or another team that's just, you know, like maybe the Kings, the Sacramento Kings, teams that are clamoring for the opportunity to make the playoffs. And while they're probably not going to go on deep playoff runs, for them to be able to bring a quote-unquote playoff atmosphere back to their respective cities and their home arenas would probably be just a huge factor. And again, they'll be making some money off of that. So to me, I can't see how they just eliminate that sort of thing. But viewing the bubble the way we have and seeing the kind of level of success that we find out of it, I, I'd be 100% in support of such an idea. Expecting that hopefully you could you know, increase the number of people that could cover it and extend credentials to a number of different reporters and things like that. So I'm assuming, again, that everybody's healthy and you can maintain the, the integrity of the bubble. And even when you kind of look at even the Heat Buck series, like, do, do you feel like that series goes that way if it's a typical, right, two home, two away? Do you, do you think it goes that way? That's a tough one to say because I know Milwaukee typically very good at home and Miami conversely very bad on the road. And so you wonder whether or not they would have fallen apart a little bit. I think Miami has just been so strangely focused on the next level and winning a championship and that's been their ultimate goal because that's just who they are as a franchise and that's just the collection of players that they have on that roster are all thinking of winning a title from day one regardless of anybody else has those expectations for them or not so they're kind of ideally suited for the bubble but I mean Milwaukee there were moments there where they probably could have used more energy from the home crowd and it's used as well especially in late game situations where they kind of fell apart a little bit and so, if, if this series is playing, play, being played in Milwaukee, they probably will win at least a couple of games, and then that shifts the momentum of the series considerably. Miami might not close it out in five games. They might not win at all. Even if they have the kind of right personnel to limit what the Bucks can do. And look, even from that perspective, officiating tends to gravitate towards home crowds as well. They get caught up in the emotions. They get caught up in the cheering, the loud clapping, et cetera. And all of a sudden, they make a call that goes for the home team's favor. That changes the whole dynamic of a series. How surprised were you that the Heat beat the Bucks in five games? They beat them in five games, very surprised. I, I think a lot of people recognized that Miami was very well suited to contend against the Bucks. This was a roster specifically built to challenge Milwaukee, to build that wall against uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and to entrust that everybody else was going to be able to defend Chris Middleton, Luke Lopez, etc. to a lesser degree. If anything, you look at how effective they were when Adam DeCooper was in the game, and conversely, the fact that they lost game four when he was out, that when he was out in game five, Miami would challenge more by that roster because they were so specifically built to stop Giannis that when he was out of the game and they got great performances from Middleton, Dante DiVincenzo, and other players that were you know, specifically role players, Miami looked a little confused. They looked not as engaged and dynamic as they had during the first three games when they absolutely were just beating on Giannis and the Bucks. So I I knew that they were going to find a way to win, and I just was surprised at how effective their strategy was and how well they were able to implement it against Giannis. Well, and also, do you think we should have even been surprised that the Heat did this to the Bucks? Because if you kind of look in the first round, like, the Heat beat the Pacers, they sweep them, and the Bucks 
kind of they lose one game to Orlando, which was kind of very odd, and they didn't really look that great in that series against the Magic. Like like the Bucks, they looked the worst out of any of the teams in the East in the first round. So so do you think it was kind of like we should have been that shocked that this happened? Because because the Bucks they didn't look good in the first round. No, you're, you're absolutely right. But at the same time, it's just. Now, when for you were you? Because I think everybody knows, like he believed that they were better in the box the whole time, and that was kind of very obvious, right? But when were you kind of like, okay, they're just better? Well, like, like what what game was it for you with, with the Heat and Bucks? Was just like, okay, this isn't gonna, this isn't happening for Milwaukee. Like, they're just, they're just overmatched. It was game two uh, because for them, for for Miami to have won the way they did in game one, uh, my feeling was, well, look. Yeah, incredible performance by Jimmy Butler, hit those free throws, etc. This is as good a game as you're going to get out of Jimmy. Maybe he tapers off. Maybe he's not as great in the next game. And sure enough, that's what happened. He was the kind of dynamic scorer he was in game one. It was a very, very different uh, scoring approach from Miami. But they still beat them. They still, Milwaukee had no answer for what Miami was able to do well. And because of that, I started to realize, oh, this is, this is working exactly as they had hoped it would. They had the right strategy. They have the right personnel. They made the tough decisions to bench Myers Leonard and Kendrick Nunn and keep them there out of the rotation to insert Jay Crowder. And he's proven to be such a great factor in that starting lineup because he's just, he's such a great defender. He handled that challenge. He gets out of the cupola individually and started off at least defensively. And then, of course, everybody kind of switched on and helped defend to some extent. But, you know, game two showed that Miami can beat Milwaukee in different ways, and from that point forward, I just I didn't think Milwaukee was going to have a response. You know, you never want to get too cocky or too arrogant and assume that you're going to get a team as good as Milwaukee was prior to the hiatus is just going to get blown out. But they never really looked like more people were stepping up and making any changes to adjust to what Miami was doing so well. And your time covering basketball, is there a series that's kind of close to this in terms of like just surprising you? And in, in your time covering basketball, has there ever been a series like the Bucks and the Heat that just kind of shocked you? Like this, like did they just the underdogs just destroyed the favorites? Not, not to this extent. No, I, I don't think. I mean, there were one seed; they were so good, and whether there was a right matchup or not, you know, you still expect Milwaukee to find a way to win. Uh, so this was this was very, very different. I don't think we've ever seen any kind of team with an MVP player with, you know, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference to be outclassed so severely. So this had to 
Frank up there, I can't think off the top of my head of any other series that has really challenged me. Look, several years ago with the Miami Heat, they were the one seed of the Eastern Conference, and they were beat by a New York Knicks team. But similarly, that Knicks team had been built by Pat Riley prior to him joining Miami, so there was a lot of similar personnel, very similar styles of play, and it came down to the waiting seconds of a game seven. So there was obvious, you know, similarity between those two teams, and even though they were one and eight, they were much more closely aligned than you would have thought. Um, but nothing like this. Two different teams, a one seed with an MVP, as historically good as they were, for them to get knocked out, this is probably as surprising a series as I've ever seen. And the most interesting thing about this is I, I think you could make an argument that Jimmy Butler is the best player left in the Eastern Conference playoffs, and he's not typically a guy that when you say, right, the best player on a Final Four team, the, the, Jimmy Butler doesn't you know come to mind. It's usually guys like LeBron, like a Kawhi, a, a Giannis, guys like that. So do you kind of think, how good is Jimmy Butler in reality? Because cause I think a lot there's a lot of kind of debate about this in the NBA community. Would you say he's like in that top ten Probably just outside of that, and uh, it's unfair because you know the thing is with Jimmy versus some of those other players that might be in that quote unquote top ten is that Jimmy doesn't have to produce offensively the way that uh, other of those players do in order to warrant that high rank. Jimmy just he does everything well. Like he's an underrated playmaker. He's a superlative you know defender. He's a guy who can control the flow of the game by getting to the line as often as it does, more than any other player other than James Harden. And so when you look at that, like Jimmy just is a really, really, really good player. He just doesn't put up, he doesn't average 25 points per game. He doesn't put up huge scoring nights the way he did in game one. That was a very atypical performance for him. And somehow he still finds a way to win. He still finds a way to get the most out of everybody. And he's been a, a perfect fit in Miami in that you do have other complementary scores, other guys that can step up and take up the, the bulk of the scoring load. Uh, and so it works very well. You just got a guy like him who makes plays for others and just gets, has a feel for what to get everybody else's games. And, and it's funny you bring up that point that uh, he might be the best player in the Eastern Conference because I just answered that question with somebody else on another podcast, uh, you know, comparing him to Jason Tatum. And while Tatum is the better scorer, I still like what Butler can do outside of that. And Tatum's a great defender, but Butler as a playmaker – Butler's ability to control the pace on offense by getting to the line and slow things down so that Miami can catch a breath and reassert themselves if ever an opponent is kind of closing in there. I have to give the edge to Jimmy. Okay, why did Jimmy leave Philadelphia? Like, do you think it was more, because you can tell, like, Jimmy's loving it in Miami, just like the way they work, just the way they go about business. Do you think it was more of that, or do you think it was more that, maybe what guys like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons kind of weren't, right? Because it seems like he loves guys like uh, Robinson and Tyler Hero, Jay Crowley. Like, he loves those guys. Like, he just loves it. A little bit of both, uh, honestly. I think I think Philadelphia uh, might not have wanted Jimmy back there. Like, they, they were – they didn't want the Jimmy that they had for the few months that they were there because there was some obvious tension between him and Ben Simmons uh, and, and maybe some of the other – members of the coaching staff and things of that sort. So there was absolutely tension there. Conversely, you know, Jimmy had heard from Dwayne Wade during their time together in Chicago how much of a great Miami and who said that. Like his commitment to work, the fact that everybody on this roster commits themselves so completely. We knew it was going to be a pretty solid pairing. I didn't expect uh, I was probably higher on the connection 
than most, and I had been for a long time after I talked to him, even before when he was in Minnesota, I brought this up before my own show, but I mean, talking to him in Minnesota and hearing him talk about Andrew Wiggins and knowing that Wiggins had all the talent in the world, but the thing that was missing with him was the commitment to the work and getting better, etc. I, I heard that and I'm thinking to myself, man, this is a player who talks exactly the way he, that he coaches in front office do. As long as you continue to work hard, you'll find a way to get better and get to the top somehow. And so hearing that, I knew he was a great fit in Miami. I just didn't expect that he was going to get the most out of everybody on his roster so easily and so quickly. That Bam had all this talent, that was pretty obvious. I didn't know that it was going to tie together and that Jimmy would defer to him as often as he had. This is another superstar-level player in Butler. He's getting paid a max contract, and he's been very consistent all season long in saying, Bam's our best player. Why is, it, why is it that I'm the best player? Why do you think I'm the best player? And he's told this to media a number of times. Why isn't it Bam? He's gone out of his way to compliment Tyler Hero, a rookie, to, to point out that Kendrick Nunn has all the potential in the world, to form a friendship with Goran Dragic, has mentioned a number of times what a tough competitor is. He's just been such a great locker room presence that it's just worked out really well. And so he needed that kind of commitment to excellence, and he wanted to be here. Like that's the thing that we always kind of discount is that like, he was traded from Chicago to Minnesota. That wasn't his choice. From Minnesota to Philadelphia. Again, not his choice, but he chose to come to Miami, and that's been all the difference in the world. Now, when you kind of talk about tension with him and Ben Simmons, why doesn't that tension ever exist in Miami? Do you think it's just the personalities? Yeah, I mean, there hasn't been any player there that's rubbing the wrong way. Like, one of the things that we've heard a lot about from this team throughout the whole season is accountability. And I don't think that ever took place in Minnesota or in Philadelphia. Like, they never wanted to hear from Jimmy, you need to do better. And that's the thing that is welcomed in Miami. He can get into Bam's face and vice versa, and he can say, look, you, you could have handled that defensive assignment better. You need to be more aggressive. You need to go and put up your shot. Like, he said it to Duncan Robinson, you know, a guy who turned into one of the best shooters in the league. He said, no, you're open. Take that damn shot. And, and Duncan can handle it. Like, Duncan can respond and say, you're right, I need to do better. I need to, I need to be more aggressive on offense. And nobody bristles when Jimmy kind of gets into the face and challenges them. And I think that's, you know, it's been welcomed. And, again, they have the open door to be able to do the same thing to him. And, and uh, I can't recall what game it was. I want to say game one where he had that incredible performance. Jonas has him. A guy who doesn't even play anymore yells, Expletives at Jimmy Butler and says, "Do not let us lose this game." And Butler responds that has an incredible performance. So that's the kind of thing that I think is welcomed in Miami that might not be in other teams. And when I imagine like the Heat's practices, and I don't know if you can attest this, I just imagine just like the most intense practices you ever see. Like guys almost fighting each other, like guys mfing each other the whole time. Like just kind of you know the old saying like iron sharpens iron. Is that kind of how it's like in Miami? Well, honestly, those are closed off, so we don't really get a sense of that. But I, I think it's it's probably not that kind of tension. You know, you get competitive. Uh, these guys all want to win and perform at a high level, and they like being challenged. There's a lot of trash talking. But it's also good-natured in the sense that they recognize that that's trying to get them to be better players individually. So it's not like Ben Simmons or even a Joel Embiid or a Carl Anthony Towns. Those guys... They were trying so hard to get a footing, to get to establish their name, their reputation, fleet, and for an established veteran like Jimmy to come in there and challenge them. They, they probably resented it because they're like, oh, why is this guy challenging me and, and kind of talking smack and, and making me feel 
like less of a player, less of a person. In Miami, you know, they, they've all gone through such a difficult journey to get to this point. When you look at Duncan Robinson, who, you know, was undrafted and was a player who didn't get a lot of fight call for him at the University of Michigan, was a divisional three player uh, to start his college career. And, and all this, you know, Kendrick Nunn wasn't drafted, Jimmy Butler was a low draft pick. Bam and Abaya was on the bench for the last two seasons behind Hassan Whiteside, et cetera. There's so many guys in this roster with a chip on their shoulder. They kind of like it. Yeah, no, and I definitely agree with you there. How surprised have you kind of been of guys like a Tyler Hero? Because I know we saw, kind of saw this with, with Tatum a couple of years ago, but a lot of the times you don't see young players, rotational, starter, you know, otherwise, be able to play consistent minutes in the playoffs and be productive. And, like, they trust a guy like Tyler Hero to have the ball in his hands. Like, he closes games for them. Like, how surprised are you that he's developed this far? We've only had the one-year sample size from the time to Kentucky, but the more we keep hearing about him throughout the regular season, even prior to the hiatus, was that he was just as hard a worker as possible, that he likes these kind of situations. And Eric Spolster is fond of saying, we've got a lot of guys in that locker room that live for these moments, and, and Tyler is one of them. He used to say the same thing about Dion. Uh, he said that about Jimmy, who's always been a big clutch player. But I think Tyler is just – gone to a different level and the hiatus also has been a very big positive for him strangely enough in that he took that time off while the season was pretty much ended and continued to work on his game so this is not really a rookie season although it's an extension of it this is supposed to be his second season and he's taking a huge leap he's just much more aggressive much more confident and he didn't need much more of a boost as far as his confidence is concerned but he certainly been just he just there's a feel for the game that we didn't see prior to the hiatus his playmaking ability has taken another level. So for him, this was always going to happen. It was just a matter of when. And it's happened probably a little sooner than we expected, but he's always been a very confident, capable player in his short tenure here. And again, that work that defines everybody in that Miami Heat roster, he embraces it. He's put in so much of that effort. And, and I think Jimmy and other guys recognizing that he's not treated the same way other rookies around the league are. He's, there's a lot of confidence in his ability to even older veterans like Goran Dragic and Myers Leonard, guys with a lot of experience, they trust the guys to come up big and, and, and cut situations. And it's proven to be a good assessment on their part. Now, with the Heat now in the conference finals, they're going to play the Celtics. How do you see that series going, right? We have game one that's Tuesday, right? Game one's Tuesday. How, how do you see that game going, that series? <laughs> I, uh, the more I talk about it, I've talked about it a lot today, let me tell you, it is very very difficult to assess because both teams coach very well. Both teams, incredible defensive intensity, great shooting, great scores, great playmakers, versatile defenders, versatile scores. It's just, they kind of mirror each other to some degree. And so it's very, very hard to make an exact prediction. Now, a lot of people assess Boston's roster and the switchable wings like you know Brown and Tatum uh, and recognize that they're very, very great. And even, of course, is able to come back in a game two or game three and make a, an impact that way, then that changes what that, roster, what that roster looks like. But Miami, you know, they've made some changes, too, and they look really, really good against Milwaukee because of the acquisition of Crowder and the Dallas guys who could come off the bench when Crowder's case starting and make that defense much more tenacious than it was during the regular season. So it's hard to really make any kind of accurate prediction or to you know, guess exactly what's going to happen. I think from Boston's standpoint, 
they're going to try to get Kemba Walker going early on. And it's how Miami responds to being able to limit Walker. And who Adebayo starts off guarding, I think, is a huge factor because Adebayo or Daniel Tice makes sense because they're both playing the center position. But you could see Crowder switching on to Tice because he's strong enough to handle that responsibility. And at the same time, putting Adebayo on a guy like Brown to start that, uh, that matchup. And then having everybody kind of switch and, and, and make things uncomfortable for their shooters if you can push take him away from the three-point line, get him out of his comfort zone, maybe have him stretch the floor a little bit more than he'd like. Maybe you can shut down some of the still scoring or you're not going to shut him down completely. That just can make things uncomfortable for him or, or a huge factor. And then you've got a guy like Duncan Robinson, probably not a great defender, so you're going to be targeted by what Boston can do. At the same time, who starts off guarding him? You know, is it Kemba Walker? Is it Marcus Smart? Is it Tatum or Brown? And those guys have to so much work chasing after Duncan Robinson because he comes off of so many multiple screens where he's running constantly around the court in their half-court offense that either you're going to have somebody who's a primary defender on him to challenge what he does or if you're constantly switching you're going to have a, a moment there where you're going to make a mistake where somebody doesn't, doesn't switch as quickly as they should and then you're either going to create a dribble handoff situation with uh, Bam Adebayo, where he can get an open lift from the perimeter, and if that's the case, Duncan's been able to knock those down consistently all year, or you're going to have a double team on Robinson, which is going to leave somebody open in another scenario, either a rib roller like Adebayo or another perimeter shooter like Dragic or Crowder, who can knock down the three and has done so at such a high level uh, during the Orlando bubble. So there's a lot of questions there. I mean, it's not to take away anything from what Boston has done, They've been really, really good. They've been challenged, and they played really well against a great Toronto team. But this is not a version of the Heat that they faced before. They have not faced Jimmy Butler uh, in all of his prime, the way we've seen from the playoffs so far. Uh, he was not there during the seeding games when these two teams met up. Similarly, when the two teams faced prior to that in January, they didn't have Crowder. They didn't have Iguodala. They didn't have Bam in the starting lineup. So this is a very, very strange rotation. And yeah, you can take out as much drum as you want to break it down. That's a whole other thing to compete against them, to play against them and to see how you respond. So what would your prediction be for the series? Like do you would you say heat and seven? I actually said heat and six. Uh, that's and mostly I've been saying that just because I said that against the Bucks and I said that against the Pacers and so kind of being a little bit superstitious and huh. saying heat and six. It could go either way. I, I really, I, I know that's probably a little bit more vague than you want to hear, but that's the reality. A lot can shift in Boston's favor very quickly. If they win a game early on, if they let's say they split the first two games for whatever reason, and then Hayward comes back and has another dynamic to that rotation, that could change things in Boston's favor so heavily. Uh, and you know, if you can't stop Kemba Walker, if Jason Tatum explodes for a big forty-point outing. Uh, maybe Bam gets into foul trouble for whatever reason. Those things, as small as they might seem, could really lose the course of a game, which it could change the course of a series. You know, it could go five games, it could go seven. I really think it's going to be a longer series for the six. I could see just easily either one of those teams coming down to a game seven. If that's the case, it could come down to one single play or a bad foul call. Uh, a lot of that has really, really impacted certain games during the, the bubble. So, I mean, it's. It's the playoffs. This is the moment that you live for if you're a player and as a fan. Yeah, no, and I think Miami-Boston, I think that is going to be a, a great series. Now, 
I do have to ask you this, and there was kind of a lot of talk about this because the Heat have been one of the teams that is rumored so so called right. If Giannis ends up leaving Milwaukee, <laughs> what are the chances that Giannis would go to the Heat? I think they're great, honestly. Uh, I think it comes down to whether or not he chooses to leave Milwaukee. But if he does, I don't see why he would pick Miami. Not, not only is there a connection there in that Bam Adebayo is represented by the same agent as Giannis is. There's clearly something there, and I think that agent knows firsthand Bam, how good that culture is, how good they take care of their players, how much they push you to get to that next level. And you look at his level of frustration in that last year, is that when they were beat by this Miami team that doesn't have a quote-unquote superstar, maybe you can make an exception for Jimmy in that case, but they don't have the same level of talent maybe as other elite Miami teams. And somehow they just continue to play hard. They're always up fine. They, everybody on that roster knows their role on this team. And that, that has to be appealing to a player like Hadi DeCoupo who's looking for another level to take his game personally and as a team to. They just want to achieve something to establish a long-lasting legacy as a player. He might be looking for championships early on. And that's the case. Miami has experience taking superstar players have to look no further than 2010 and LeBron James, and they have the experience of being able to take these players, get them to develop even further than they already are, whether that's extending his range a little bit as an outside shooter or finding some new wrinkle in his offense that makes him a better playmaker for others. Something is going to happen where they, Miami feels comfortable knowing that they can take on it and add him to this team and make him an even better version of the player that we've already seen. And I think that has to appeal to a lot to others. Look at Miami's history, not just the Pat Riley over the last 25 years, but recent history. They've gone meetings with Gordon Hayward, they've gone meetings with Kevin Durant, they've gone meetings with Marcus Aldridge, and of course, they were able to acquire Jimmy Butler. So they get big names, they get big meetings with big time players. And I think once you're in a room with Pat Riley and the rest of that front office, they're going to make a hell of a pitch and they're going to do their best to convince you to join them. It might not always work, but it's, it's going to get you thinking. And once you start thinking about Miami, and being able to play here as a superstar that can win a championship right away because, you know, there's an established culture here that can win titles, that has to be appealing. So, I mean, I would say that's out of the Google, if he's entertaining ideas of going elsewhere, Miami is probably the premier destination. Now, oh, that was a great pitch. <laughs> that was a great pitch. I love it. Now... Do you think, though, because I've also heard this argument, right, and it's kind of the Kevin Durant there. People are like, would he really go to the team that beat him in five games? And then everybody's like, well, Kevin Durant uh, kind of did the same thing. Do you actually think that could happen, though, because of that, or, or do you think that would play almost no factor? I don't, I don't think it would be as big a factor as you think. Um, but I also think that it's going to happen this offseason. Right? So much of next season is up in the air, regardless of, you know, where the rest of the country is, the rest of the world, but let's assume that they start playing with some kind of clear timeline for the next few months. You know, I think you would want to give it another chance there. I think they want to see whether or not they can run it back for a third consecutive season and maybe that'll turn out into a, a title or at least a deeper playoff run than the And if that's the case, that changes things a lot. So right now, you know, he's under it's not like Miami's going to trade for him because they'd have to give up a whole heck of a lot, more than they probably have in order to acquire him. The plan is, and has been for a long time, is to wait until he's a free agent. And that depends on whether or not he turns down 
takes max level extension, and if that's the case, then he becomes a free agent, and then that's just, that's it. From there, it's an open floor, and you hope that again, as a Miami team, you hope that you get get a meeting with him, make the kind of pitch that you think will change his mind, and then you'll probably be able to lock down your superstar with a, a max level contract here in South Florida. Or again, if you're, if you're looking at the dollars thing, the fact that you don't pay state income. While you might be able to get more money per se in Milwaukee, yeah. and once you come to Miami, you won't be paying those taxes at some level. And so you'd probably be making the same amount of money in South Florida, plus you're in South Florida as to Milwaukee, plus you have an established championship culture too that you don't have in Milwaukee. So there's a lot of So I hope it's going to happen this summer, unless it's meeting that we're hearing so much about over the last few days. People were about Giannis demanding a trade. I don't think that's the case. I think it's just pushing ownership for changes and, and changes to the roster the current ownership wants to keep Mike Budenholzer in place as the head coach and while he's clearly struggling in the playoffs over the last couple of seasons he's still a really good coach that he's built probably for the regular season I would expect uh, Cooper to be under the contract and on that roster there moving forward next season uh, but after that who knows well, I definitely think Pat Riley, at the very least, will get a meeting with Giannis next summer. I would definitely bet money on that. David, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Always a And kind of next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Silas Garrison on to talk about the Clippers pooping the bed, crapping the bed against the Denver Nuggets. Kind of next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have, this has been a very sad day, sad night. Uh, we have my guy Silas on, who <laughs> I can remember about seven to eight months ago, I had Silas on the podcast, and Silas uh, Silas picked the Lakers, I picked the Clippers, and uh, Clippers kind of disappointed me. They lost in seven games, gave up multiple double-digit losses. So, Silas, I'm just going to let you glow. You're just going to have you have the floor, Silas. Just, just tell everybody how you're feeling. Well, you know, <clears throat> Daryl, you're my friend, so I would never rub something in uh, like this on your platform unless I told you that the Lakers were going to win. And since I did say that the Lakers are going to win, I'm absolutely going to rub it in. Um, first of all, uh, the Lakers are a better team than the Clippers. Um, it's disrespectful to put the Clippers in the same conversation with the Lakers, period, because the Clippers play in the basement of the Staples Center. Um, we typically give them the used towels. Um, we let them take the shower uh, three hours after we leave the building. Um, <clears throat> as it pertains to Kawhi Leonard, um, Kawhi Leonard does not deserve to be in the same conversation with LeBron. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, it is absolutely disrespectful what he did. Uh, he tried to create a situation where the Lakers weren't going to have as many good players um, because he tried to manipulate the system. Here, let me wait out the Lakers, and then they're going to wait for me, thinking that I'm going to go there, and then I'm going to go and then recruit Paul George, and then I'm going to have them join 
uh, the Clippers just so the Lakers would be at a disadvantage. They did that intentionally. Kawhi did that intentionally. And, and you know, as Malcolm X said, it's like the chickens come home to roost. What you deal to people, you get dealt back in return, and this was an example of it. Now, on a more of a, on more of a, um, like a basketball analysis standpoint, I will say this, that it is absolutely reprehensible when you are up three to one against a clearly inferior Nuggets team, um, and the only reason why I'm saying that the Nuggets are better now is because it's hard to say that you're not better than somebody when you are up three to one. But clearly, at the beginning of the series, it was obvious that the Clippers were superior to that of the Nuggets roster. Um, you had superstars. You had a better defense. Um, up until that point, Doc Rivers was absolutely out coaching the Nuggets. Um, uh, Mike Malone. Staff. Mike Malone. Mike Malone, right. Um, and to think that you could let a 3-1 series slip, and they say that Kawhi Leonard is the best close. Paul George is self-proclaimed as, as, as playoff piece. <laughs> and I haven't seen anything out of Lemon Pepper Lou. Who, who, he came back. who calls Paul George from, playoff um, P, Silas? Silas, who calls him playoff? Who calls him playoff P? <laughs> huh? Who calls Paul George playoff P? Seriously? I told you, Paul, Paul George calls himself that playoff P. <laughs> yeah. What has he done? He has not done anything to be playoff P. Silas, that, that's the, the front. That, that, that's, I can't say it on air. The Silas, that's the front. <laughs> that, that's the front we all have that says he gets girls, but he gets no girls. <laughs> That's like, the, that's like that's like the that's like the player who says that he's about it and he's never about it. That's this guy right there. He's a joke. He's an absolute joke. This man is a choke artist in the playoffs. Okay, can you here's here, this is why I say people choke. This is what choking is to me. When you play, when the stakes are high and you play lesser than what you're accustomed to playing. So like, if your average is like twenty points a game and you score ten. In, in, a, in, a, in a situation like this when you are already winning. That's a choke artist. That's that's what it looks like when you choke. When you play down to what your typical level is. And that's exactly what you saw, um, you know, pretty much after after the Clippers went up 3-1 to one, and then you saw the Nuggets walk, walk, walk them down from, uh, you know, 3-2, three 3-3. Two, three, three, and then tonight, obviously, obviously ending the series in a 4-3. Um, I think it's reprehensible on the Clippers' part. I think Steve Ballman needs to make some serious blame other people, but it has to start with Steve Ballman. Because this man said, we want the Lakers. It's going to be the race for L.A. L.A. this and L.A. that. And LeBron kept on saying all year, I'm not competing against, I'm just competing against my competition. It's not personal. You guys were making it, Steve Ballman was making it personal between the Lakers and the Clippers. And now the Lakers are in the conference finals, about to sweep the Nuggets, and you got Clippers who are getting ready to go home. That's all I have to say about it. Do you, There's nothing else to be said. So, I think part of this is you can look at the Clippers' culture the whole year. Like, their whole team didn't play. And not to give them excuses, but I'm just going to say this. Their whole team didn't play, like, like all year. It was kind of mix and match the, the whole time. You can make an argument. It's not really good when your best player, Kawhi, is like, I'm not going to play this game. I'm not going to play this game, right? They were rarely ever healthy. 
how much of that do you think was an issue when it got to playoff time? Because even when they played Dallas, there were a couple of signs of, you know what, there are some concerning things that are going on here. So no excuses whatsoever, and here's the reason why. Everybody said that the Clippers were better than the Lakers in spite of the injuries, right? And in terms of them never playing together, well, you can blame your captain, Kawhi Leonard. Who, who thinks that playing games are optional? <laughs> who thinks that it's okay just to turn on a switch? What, well, can I ask you a question? What are you teaching to your kids when you, when you play a sport like that? Hey, show up if you feel like it. Play if you want to. I mean, if you, so how about we just say defense is optional? Because that's what it looked like when you were facing the Nuggets. It looked like defense was optional. So was shooting. Not on shame. You got a man <laughs> in Joker who can't even jump. This man can't jump. This man can't put on a juke, and he still put a foot in you. No, it's it's absolutely it's absolutely incomparable that you could be in a situation where you're up three to one. Here's the biggest point, right? You can sit here and say all you want, just like you did, right? That they had injuries, but nobody was calling out for injuries when they were up three to one. So I don't want to hear it now when you lose three to three. When you lose uh, four to three. No, no excuses whatsoever. And everybody was battling injuries. There's a lot of te- I can't name one team that hasn't had injuries. We're not giving people uh, any excuses when Giannis... Okay, so why are we giving Giannis an excuse? Giannis has had that ankle injury ever since the uh, season uh, was postponed. And we didn't give him any excuses. We just absolutely vilified and vitriated the Bucks, and we praised the Heat. So we're going to do the exact same thing to Kawhi. But I want to say one thing. And we're going to do this to the Clippers, not just Kawhi. But I want to say one thing. This is why LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard are not the same. They can never be the same. Because if LeBron James had this happen, he'd be getting viscerated. He'd be getting vilified. He'd be getting dragged through the mud. But Kawhi Leonard, we're trying to make excuses for... I'm not saying you're doing it, but I'm, I'm already hearing it out of other people. We're trying to make excuses for why Kawhi... And we do this for Steph Curry. We do this for Kevin Durant. This is how... this. This is how I know the level at which LeBron is on, because we hold him to a certain standard that we only put the absolute Mount Rushmore of basketball in. And unfortunately, Kawhi is not on that list. Can I ask you, so, right, I would say this year there were three players that were clearly the top three players in the league. And tell me if you disagree. In no particular order, if you asked me a month ago who the three best basketball players in the world were, I would have said LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, and Giannis. Would you agree with that? Uh, give me one second. No, I wouldn't be able to say that. I would say James Harden. You could Harden. James Harden came. No, because when James Harden, because we're talking about the bubble, you said a month ago. So let's just so let's so let's only talk about the bubble. LeBron James. You could add in Damian Lillard. You could add in. I, I would even bring in Giannis because Giannis wasn't playing well. No, I'm just saying, just in general, like your top three guys. I mean, just in general, your top three oh, guys. Just a, oh, just a general top three guys. Okay, so so you're not just judging, you're not just judging them off of the bubble, correct? Yeah, yeah, just in general. Okay, well then, I would say just in general, yes, I would say LeBron James. I would say who who is the other individual that you named? Kawhi and Giannis, right? And Kawhi, uh, Kawhi, I think it's a toss up between him and James Harden because they were both playing very well. And actually, I would give it to James. Because the best ability is availability. 
Okay. It's hard for me to put you in that top three when you don't play. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Th- th- that's fair. So I'll just give those four names. And, right, LeBron is the only one still playing. <laughs> uh, and realistically, the other three guys, Harden, Giannis, and Kawhi, all lost in embarrassing fashions, albeit in different ways. Right. And I think you've been saying this for a long time. LeBron is still the best player in the NBA. What is the gap in your mind between LeBron and the next best guy? Well, the next best guy, unfortunately, in my opinion, hasn't played this year, and that's uh, one Kevin Durant. Well, and, and, and well, okay. <laughs> so okay, we're talking. Well, no, we got to add him in because he because he is going to be back next year. So I I would say the gap between him and Kevin Durant, considering that he's injured and that he's coming back, and I don't believe anybody ever comes back fully healthy off of an Achilles. So I believe that the gap between LeBron and Kevin Durant. It's like if LeBron's a ten, I would say that maybe Kevin Durant might be an eight. I would say that Kawhi isn't too far off. I would say that Giannis isn't too far off. But right now, I I still think this is LeBron's world, and everybody else just lives in it. So there's a sizable gap, is is what you're saying? A there's, decent there's, gap. There's, there's a sizable gap. A, a decent gap. Like there's there's a there's a level that LeBron is in his own tier. LeBron is in his own tier. There's nobody you would put in and his tier. And this typically happens in the playoffs, right? Like, you have situations like this where, like, LeBron might be cruising. And, you know, it's it's funny because we'll say that LeBron's cruising uh, through the through the, uh, through the the regular season, but he's balling during the regular season. <laughs> like, like he, I mean, this man's averages is, like, I believe it's something close to, like, 28, 8, and, and 7 or 6. I mean, that's just, that's very, very good. But for LeBron James, we just we've become so accustomed to his greatness, we just say that he's cruising. And that's actually balling. That that's bananas. So you know, you'll then put people in his category. So like when Steph Curry was putting MVPs, we said blasphemy that oh Steph Curry's just as good. Or when Kevin Durant was, you know, when he joined the Warriors, which obviously you know, he's going to look very good because he's on the Warriors on 73 one team. They're like, oh, he's better than, you know, LeBron James. Kevin Durant's better than LeBron James. What happens is when LeBron gets to the playoffs, it's just so clear that he's better than everybody else. And it's been clear that he's even better than Anthony Davis, who is on his own team. It's not like he's just riding the coattails of Anthony Davis. He is clearly far and away the best player on that team, and that's the best team in the league, so I have to say that he's the best player. And that's all fair. Now, I want to go back to the Clippers really quickly before we change topics. Where do the Clippers go from here? Because you could even argue, right, the Lakers made a nice move in picking up Dwight Howard. And I believe he was waived, right? And then they, they signed him. They also got JaVale McGee, too. And you can make an argument in the, Dem- in the Denver Nuggets series that if the Clippers had a guy like Dwight Howard, who they could uh, put against a guy like Jokic, because Montrose Harrell and Jermichael Green and all of them, like they had to pick Kawhi on Jokic. The Clippers had nothing for Jokic. Where do the Clippers go from here? How do they improve their team? Is it a matter of they just need to get mentally tougher, get a grip, come back in the offseason and be more prepared? Or do you think they need some structural moves? Like, like, like where do the Clippers go from here? Because this is a yeah, disappointment. Yeah, go ahead. Because this is a disappointment for, for a team that had championship aspirations. So, so where do they go from here? Yeah, so give me a little time on this. So number one, Steve Ballman needs to let this Laker-Clippers rivalry go. It's not a rivalry. And it's disrespectful to put the Lakers in the same conversation with the Clippers as a franchise. You might be, shout out to Steve Ballman, you you are, 
I'm sure, a very good owner. And yes, you have a very good team, and you've built that, and you earned, and you have earned that respect. But let's not get disrespect. I mean, we are talking about a, a franchise of over 30 years of excellence in the Los Angeles League. So let's come on. You still play in the bottom of Staples. You will never be. You can win the next five championships, and it will still be a Lakers city. And the proof is in the pudding because when people go to Clippers and Lakers games. People are booing the Clippers, and they play in that center too. <laughs> they play in that stadium too, and they still don't want to see you. They just want to see the Lakers. I think that that's very important that we be honest and have a legitimate conversation about that. That's one. Number two, I think I think the clock is ticking because Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are two-year contracts, so that means they have one more year to get the job done. And if they don't get the job done, you will very well see Kawhi Leonard and Paul George leave. And I know that for a fact, because if they were serious about staying in uh, L.A., they would have signed a long-term extension. They wouldn't be signing two-year deals in the middle of their pride. So I think that the best thing that they need to do, number one, is get this, this notion that the Lakers and the Clippers are some rivalry. If they do that, they'll be fine, because they were supposed to face the Lakers this year. But what were they doing? Looking past the Mavericks. Looking past the Nuggets. Uh, maybe I'll go back. Maybe I will contradict myself and remake. I don't believe that the Nuggets are a better team than the Clippers. But I think they were a better team than this series because it's hard not to be better than somebody when you're looking past them. They played harder. So if they just come in here, how about this? Let's do a couple things. Number one, let's make sure that the Clippers are actually playing in their games when they're available to play because continuity and chemistry is a good thing. Let's not create this narrative and go on national television and say, hey, we have this switch that we can turn on. Because if you're really about that life, then that switch should always be turned on. And then number three, let's play with a sense of urgency while keeping the championship the main thing. The main thing is the main thing. So let's keep the championship as the main thing. Not a rivalry or a self-proclaimed rivalry with the Los Angeles Lakers. No, I do not believe that you need to get rid of the coaching staff. No, I do not believe that you need to make roster changes. I think it would be it would behoove you to maybe add another piece, maybe not maybe not another all star or anything, but maybe add you know another big man or something like that. But it's hard for you to say that considering that that uh, Montrez Harrell just won Sixth Man of the Year. So you clearly have a clue. The bottom line is you were solely looking past a team that had already accomplished and already was where you had desired to be, and you slipped up. Come back next year, better prepare, get continuity, and make sure that you take it one series at a time. Should Kawhi have stayed in Toronto? Because when you look at this, Kawhi's in Toronto. They bring back the whole team. We saw how good Toronto was this year. They probably beat Boston in Game 7. I think you would agree. Maybe it doesn't even go 7. And then they'd probably be the favorites to beat the Heat, and they'd be in a position to be in the finals. Do you think Kawhi made the wrong decision going to LA? And you think he would have been better off if he stayed in Toronto because... It's still a weaker conference, at least up top. Uh, I think at this point we can say Nick Nurse, the head coach of the Raptors, is maybe better than Doc. And I think the the Raptors have a little bit of a better roster than the Clippers. Do you think Kawhi made the wrong choice? Well, so I don't think the Raptors have a better um, roster than the Clippers. I would say that, you know, Paul George is better than um, Lowry. I would say Montrez is better than Pascal Siakam. Oh. Or no, Lou Williams. No, Lou Williams. Lou Williams. I, I misspoke. I misspoke. Lou Williams is better than Pascal Siakam. 
I would say that their big three, their big four, I mean, if you really think about it, the Clippers have a big four in Lou Williams, uh, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Montrezl Harrell. So I would have to disagree with you there in terms of their roster. I would definitely also say that there's a better coaching staff on the Clippers. I'm sorry, guys. I'm thinking about this in real time. But what I will say is I, I yeah, yeah, I would have to disagree with you on that because, if, again, if the Clippers just don't look past these two teams, they're in the Western Conference Finals. But I, well, my point so is, it, if the it, Raptors, if he stays with the Raptors, they're in the Finals. Say it again? If he's with the Raptors still, they're in the Finals. I mean, you could definitely you could definitely make that argument that they're in the Finals again, but that could also just be because of the way that the, that the, that the chips fell. I'm sure that Kawhi, and, it's, and here's the thing, it's always easy to look back, look back in retrospect and say what I should have did. I mean, I understand what Kawhi was doing um, originally when he joined the Clippers. Sure, I'm sure he could look back now and say, man, if I would have stayed uh, in the East, you know, we would have been able to go back to the Finals. But I don't think he was thinking that in the moment only because, I mean, let's let's be real. We didn't think that the East was going to look this way this year. We obviously thought that the Bucks were going to put up a better fight this year. Um, we obviously, you know, when you look at the Nets and then uh, acquiring Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, like, you just... I, I, get, I, just get, I just get where Kawhi was coming from. Where I have stayed with Toronto, yes. But... I think what Kawhi was thinking is that once LeBron had Anthony Davis, even if he got to the finals, he wasn't going to be able to beat LeBron if he got to the finals with a Toronto-led team. So I thought he was going to the Clippers and making sure that he would be well-equipped when he faced LeBron in the Lakers. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes sense. This is a really important topic, so I really do want to talk about this, actually. Like, it was really interesting how Kawhi moved in the offseason. If you think about how Kawhi moved, it's actually really rather, you know, compelling. The fact that he decided to move and when he moved, he moved to the Clippers, making the Lakers think that he was going to go there. And that whole time they were recruiting players under, uh, under the Lakers nose intentionally. Right. And they were doing that intentionally to weaken the Lakers so they could strengthen the Clippers uh, chances of beating the Lakers because they knew the main team that they need to beat was the Lakers. That's not because I think that, Daryl. That's facts that that's what he was doing. Because he literally had the Lakers thinking that he was going to side with them intentionally and then behind their back was recruiting other people. So clearly he, he saw the Lakers as a threat and was trying to curtail them from becoming the team that could potentially beat them. So that's how I know that Kawhi thought that the Lakers were his biggest threat. So now let's bring that full circle. If Kawhi stays in the East with the same Toronto team that he has, I don't believe what a well-equipped team like the Los Angeles Lakers, I don't think that Toronto team's enough to beat the Lakers, and I think Kawhi knew that, which is why he moved to the Clippers. And that's the way, that's the reason why he moved the way he did to the Clippers in, like, the, the you know, getting Paul George and getting the other uh, acquiries to come to the Clippers. He was he was trying to let's say put a monopoly on the Clippers, and that way he could beat the Lakers. Okay, now really quickly, where I do want to go next is this. So, Easter Conference side, 
have the Heat and the Celtics, and it was a great game one. A, a great game one. I think Jimmy Butler's kind of making us... Oh, he's validating his decision to leave Philadelphia. And, and we talked a little right. bit about this off the air. You have the Celtics still being in the Heat. How worried are you after game one, and how much of a threat do you think the Heat actually are to the Celtics? I think the Heat are a really big threat because they're never out of it because the defense is so strong. And contrary to popular belief with the Clippers having rough riders, I believe that the Heat is a depth that the that the Miami Heat are a definition of rough riders. Oh, they're all um, dogs. It's Yeah, they're all they're all they're all a bunch of dogs. It starts at the helm when you talk about Jimmy Butler and then you can go to the Dragic Yeah, Gorgon Dragic Tyler Hero. Yeah, right, right, right. And just hearing what Shaquille O'Neal said to him, right, he used to haze Gordon Dragic, and he was one of, him and the late Kobe Bryant, uh, RIP, was the only people that can ever handle his hazing. So that tells you how tough Gordon is. Um, you could go down the list of Bam out of Bayou. You could talk about uh, Jay Crowder. Like, those are all serious dudes, man. You could, you could go to Iguodala, even coming off the bench, right? Like, these are just, these are dudes that are just tough, and they all got pride. You know, they're like, they're, they're players that get their lunch pail, and they go to work, and they got a lot of pride about themselves. So, so I feel like you vibe with this team. Like that, I feel like you vibe with this team. I, I agree. Well, here's the thing, and, and I, I agree with you, but, but here's the thing. Jimmy Butler is that type of player. He's hard to play with because he cares so much and he holds people accountable. And he's like, you know what? I've always said this. Him, LeBron James, and Chris Paul, they would have been great in the military because they there's just something about them. They get people to believe in them. And for the people out there, you, you, you can even, you can even, you know, ping us or, or message us. Tell me if you guys know a person in your life that just makes you want to be better. Like, that's the type of person that Jimmy Butler is. He just makes you want to be a better basketball player because he holds you accountable. He wants you to be great. Like, he's another coach on the floor with his motivation, right? It's the same thing with, like, a Chris Paul. The Chris Paul team uh, in the Thunder uh, in OKC, that overachieved. He just got a team to believe in him. And then in the midst of them believing in them, uh, in Chris Paul, they ended up believing in themselves. So I believe that, you know, Miami is a very solid team. I believe they're going to be very formidable. With that being said, I still have the Celtics just because I think that there's a lot of talent on that team that is a lot, uh, it's a lot to deal with. When you think of a Jalen Brown, he's also a rough rider. You got a Kemba Walker who is so slept on. This man is not a star. He's a superstar. Yes, I said it. Kemba Walker is a superstar. I forgot their nickname. What do they call him? Kemba something uh, cardiac yeah yeah cardiac Kemba he is <laughs> he is a stud obviously um, you know Jason Tatum like these are these are these are studs and I believe that they have Gordon Hayward coming back you know I, I think he might be able to give him something and obviously Marcus Smart is a rough rider I think that's just a better team and I think they play a little you know better solid offense you know unfortunately right like we know it it's an offensive league. So I think at the end of the day, that offense will compromise the Miami Heat's defense, and that's going to give them the edge to move on. But Miami made shots. They made shots. And I'll tell you this about Tyler Hero. The thing that really employed, like, when I compare Tyler Hero to a guy like Jason Tatum, remember when Jason Tatum made that run and they played LeBron and all of them? The thing that makes Tyler Hero so much, a little bit more impressive than even Tatum's run was as a rookie is that 
he ended up becoming the best player on the team. Like Kyrie was out. Like Jason Tatum needed to do that for the Celtics to win. It wasn't like, oh, Jason, you're playing bad. We're going to pull you. Like they empowered him. They're like, you are the best player on this team. We need you. Like Tyler Hero is a role player. He is a role player. He, he's a guy that, you know, that, that comes off the bench and he is playing well and he is not afraid of the moment. He's taken, he is a role player. He, he's a bench player in his rookie year and he's taking pull-up threes in like the last five minutes of a game, a close playoff game. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's a good player too, man. And like, he's, you know, I think this is an example of what happens when you accept your role, but then you excel in it. And that's what you're seeing out of a Tyler Hero. That's somebody who knows his role, he knows his responsibility on this team, but he embraces it, he excels in it, and as a result, you know, he's probably going to make a lot of money in this league as a result of that, too. Silas, I feel like you'd be perfect to play with Miami. They're they're your type of guys. See, you're not a Laker, you're not a Nugget, you're not a Celtic, you're a Heat guy. I am, I am, I'm a LeBron James guy when he, when, when it was, when it was Wade County. Yeah, I, I, I was. You I'm know, cool. you'd rather play for the Heat. You would love it. You would love being in those competitive practices with Jimmy Butler and Bam and Jay Crowder. You would love it, Silas. Yeah, until, yeah, until they get swept by, by the Lakers in the finals. <laughs> it's sad. It's sad to be like in the locker room. Oh, okay, I'm going with LeBron next year. I'm going with LeBron. See, before you were saying for the, 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 listen, I, I'm about to tell you, Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler's not trying to lose in the finals. <laughs> Jimmy Butler's not Jimmy trying Butler's to get. Not, yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler's not getting swept. He's, he's a different <laughs> he's not, breed. He's like, a different breed. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler's not getting. We'd be like, nah, <laughs> like. Did you say, Daryl? What did you say? He's a real one. He's a real one. Oh no, he's about it. Well, they're all about it. Like, like Jimmy doesn't play. Like, remember what he did in Minnesota? What he did? He emasculated yeah. Carl well, Anthony. We don't have to say that on air. We don't have to. Don't dra- <laughs> don't 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 mention Cat like that. Don't bring up Cat. <laughs> don't. He's he's had a rough year. He, he lost his mother. R.I.P. You know. Don't. We don't got to drag his name. Yeah, no, that is true. And also, he even Ben Simmons and Joel and beat now. Really quickly, too, where I do want to get to. I have to get to some football. So, the Big Ten might be playing football this year after all. They were not going to play originally because of COVID. Just a guy, because you played college football. How would you have felt your senior year? They come to you and they say, you can't play football because of COVID. What's your reaction, Silas? Well, I mean, <laughs> football fails in comparison to my life, right? And... Um, if I believe that my life is going to be compromised because of a disease, I wouldn't want to play. If you can assure that um, I'm going to be kept safe, then I would play. I will say this. It does look very contradictory to say that these kids can't play football, but they can stay in dorms with a thousand people at a time. <laughs> so, And just, the states are open and they can go to bars. And right, they... <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Besides, you know, here's the crazy thing about it. Ohio State. 
they, they're not playing right now, but uh, they have they have practice. They have team workouts. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, no. So you have to go lifting at six a.m. But uh, yeah, you can't fly during the team. Right. Oh, see, and I would have a problem with that. Don't tell me I got to wake up at six thirty, five thirty for 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 uh, morning and spring OTAs, and then I can't play in games. So Dr. Sayel's head off. So no, I would have a problem with that. But it, again, it's just a matter of how the situation is being handled. If I'm if I, you know, I would, I would, personally, for me, I would want to see some statistics. I would want to see some numbers that would ensure that I would have a very uh, low chance of of contracting it or catching it. Um, you know, COVID nineteen. Um, and if I felt like my body could be preserved, then I definitely would want to play. Absolutely. But obviously, you know, sports fail in comparison to my everyday life and just my natural health. Now, also too. I do have to get to the Monday Night Football game. Uh, so the Tennessee Titans kicker, Steven Goskowski, he missed four field goals, I think? Four field goals? Or was it three? It was something crazy like that. He ended up making... I think it was three. Three, three, right. So Silas, too, as a football player. When when you're there, right, just imagine you're at the Peel, you're back at Allegheny, and really competitive game. And your kicker is missing field goal after field goal after field goal. How does that go over after the game? Like, does the kicker get well, jumped? No, no, my God, no. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. That's not the way that's supposed to go. But <laughs> if, you're, if, if, you're, if you're serious about winning football games, you hold him accountable. And you say this, look, when you're out there messing around in practice, we want you getting up kicks. And you only have one job on on this team, and that's to kick this, this football through those two uprights. If you can't do that, then we need to look in another direction and find somebody who's going to be able to do that for our football team. It's just that simple. It's, it's accountability. If a, if a quarterback's not making the passes, he gets kicked out of the game, and he gets benched. If a running back can't get over two yards carry, he gets benched. If wide receivers aren't catching the ball, he gets benched. If a kicker can't make kicks, he should be benched. Yeah. But, I, but actually, now that I think about it, I think that they, I mean, typically they don't get benched. They get kicked off the team, but it's only because, like, they really can't afford to make those mistakes because those points are so precious. Every time they come on the field, minus a minus a you know a kickoff, their job is to get points for the team. So if they can't get points, then they become essentially useless to the uh, to the football club. Okay. And Silas, lastly, Buffalo Bills. We blew out the Jets, right? Silas, so how are you feeling about Bills Mafia right now? Josh Allen played well. Sam Darnold looked bad. I think Adam Gase is going to get fired. The defense was flying around. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I have a lot of thoughts on this. Number one, um, I let's just start with the Jets. They are absolutely a lobotomy. Um, they are atrocious. It is disrespectful that they get um, to play football in the national. Do you feel bad for I Sam Darnold? I'm not done with you. I think they should be relegated to playing semi-pro until they can oh. prove that they want to play football. CFL, um, maybe? Or AFL? Say it again? CFL? They could possibly be a CFL team. XFL, I, I maybe? I would not rule that out. <laughs> I would not rule that out. No, maybe XFL, yeah. SCL, one of those teams. I, I definitely do not believe that they are a football team right now that is legitimately competitive. Um, and with that being said, I gave the Bills a B-. minus. I gave the Bills a B- minus on Sunday. Um, first of all, let me go on record. I believe that the Bills are going to go 12-4. and four. Um, But I think that this was a very... Uh, um, I, think it was a, I think it was a solid showing 
for not having a preseason, but I think that there were just too many mistakes against an against a very, very, very below average team, to put it lightly, uh, in the New York Jets. First of all, we can start with Josh Allen. Um, obviously, you did what you were supposed to with your legs, I believe, uh, running for, what, about 57 yards, right? And running for a touchdown as well. Um, you threw two touchdowns through the air. I was very happy with that. But what I want to see is improvement. And what I saw in improvements um, through the air and on the ground fail in comparison to these turnovers. You do not, He does not turn the ball over through the air. When he runs, he cannot hold on to the football. And this is an ongoing problem. And we are going to lose games, as was done in the Houston Texans game uh, in the playoffs, which I haven't forgotten about. We will lose games and close games to really good teams if we turn the ball over. That's just a fact. Um, so that needs to get cleaned up. So for that, I gave Josh Allen um, a B plus. Um, I couldn't give him an A because he's turning the ball over. That cannot happen. Um, I was not happy that we weren't able to get our running game going. We have Zach Brown, uh, Zach, um, Zach, Zach Moss. Excuse Zach me, Moss. Sorry. Zach Moss. I love how Zach Moss plays. He's he's my type of guy. Rough rider. Um, mean dude and, and Devin Singletary who I've met actually now on two different occasions who's a really cool dude um, I was they are really good white uh, running backs and I know that they're getting slept on by the league um, and they and I'm happy that we're even using them in the passing game that's what I'm most proud about I was really upset that we weren't able to get our running game going I think that that starts number one because we didn't actually stick with it you can't tell me that you stuck with the running game when you've only had a total of I believe, I believe 19 runs um, and we were having drives, so we were driving while passing the ball. So essentially, we didn't really stay true to ourselves in running the ball. I was really surprised by that. But if you're killing them through the air, of course you're going to throw it. I was only upset at the fact of the matter that we weren't running it. When we did begin to run it, we were only getting maybe two yards a game, a, a, a carry, if that. So that's really below our averages, especially Devin Singletary's. Um, and I was upset considering that we were pass blocking great. But when it came to the running to the run game, uh, we just could not. I mean, we couldn't we couldn't block a fire hydrant. Um, so I didn't like that. Um, so those are two things we need to clean up: Josh Allen's turnovers. We need to clean up the running game, and our defense absolutely was perfect in spite of mistap in spite of that missed tackle. Um, so for that, I had to give them an A minus. Um, you just cannot have um, you cannot have your best player on defense in Tremaine Edwards, your best linebacker, miss a tackle like that and then have it go for 65 yards. The only way people are going to beat the Buffalo Bills is unless they can produce drives. And the only way that we're going, and they can't do that, people cannot line up at the 20 and march themselves down the field and score on the Buffalo Bills more than two times a game. And um, for that, you know, when you give up big plays, that's going to result in you losing a lot of football games. So when I saw two turnovers and I saw a big play go for 65 yards against a very porous team in the, in the New York Jets. So I wasn't happy with that. And then last, the kicking. Lord have mercy. I don't know where we got this guy, but he be- and I don't know what his beef is, but he better grill it up and eat it. I am going to call his number next week. And if he does not make kicks, I will send him straight home because that will not happen again. <laughs> that Tyler, whatever his name is, that was ridiculous. Tyler Bass or whatever it is, we set Stephen. We set what's his name gone because he beat him in kicks in in the uh, in mini camp OTAs and then um in training camp. 
So I need to see better kicking. So overall, considering that the kicking was porous, considering that we let up just a absolutely awful play that should have went for five yards and we let it go for 65 yards on defense. And other than that, we played amazing considering that we had uh, two turnovers by our quarterback that, and one of them led to points. I'm going to have to give us uh, a B plus for the game. Okay, so we got some analysis from Silas. Silas, thank you for coming on the pod, man. I appreciate it. All right, sounds good. Thank you guys for having me. And once again, I want to thank David Ramil and Silas Garrison for coming on the podcast. Just to remind everybody, too, next Monday, as as it was for the last podcast, uh, every Monday we're going to have Kenny Sim on, scouting expert for 247 Sports, recapping the NFL weekend. So I want everybody to stay tuned for that, and that's going to be on all podcasting platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. So just want to remind everybody about that. But, like I said, thanks to Silas and David for coming on the pod. And once again, I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 198th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.